Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Don Sinkula, and today I have a very special guest, Kale Inouye, who is an ecom business strategy expert, someone that I have worked with on a couple of different projects, who is a entrepreneur at heart. And I am super excited to have him on the show today to be able to talk about some business strategies, some outsourced tips and tricks, hiring processes, fulfillment. Boy, we're going to cover a lot of things today. But before we get into all of that, Kale, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and how long have you been in this space? Thanks, Don. Uh, my name is Kayla Inouye. I'm the CEO of Make Cool Stuff. Uh, we are an Amazon brand as well as uh, off Amazon. We, we sell on all the platforms. Uh, over the past seven years, uh, we've shipped over a million products out of our fulfillment house. Uh, we do our own manufacturing. Uh, we do all of our, uh, all of our creative and marketing, everything, everything in the house. So, um, kind of a lot of, a lot of different areas of expertise that we've had to learn. Uh, the business itself grew out of my garage um, and <laughs> it is now kind of this m- massive thing that uh, occupies three buildings. That's awesome. And what an incredibly cool name, Make Cool Stuff. Like, I mean, come on. That's just, that's awesome. And you've been doing this for quite a while now and have, like you said, really kind of grown from the ground up. And you've pretty much seen it all, I think, at this point, wouldn't you say? You've you've seen the, I wish I would have, you've seen successes, you've seen failures, you've seen, you know, the gamut of, of all of the things. And so today we're going to really kind of dive into some of those business strategies that I know a lot of our listeners wish they would have known or wish they could get insight on um, even before they started or where they're at right now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I would say I've seen too much. Uh, one <laughs> of the things that, you know, we, we have our own brands and, and, and uh, those have been successful. And, and uh, another part of our business is that we do help uh, com- companies that are in their launch phase. Uh, either uh, some of them, you know, we, we take them from prototype to launch. Some of them, uh, they, they already have a product and they're just looking to scale. Um, and, and we offer 3PL services as, as well as manufacturing and, and uh, business management services. Um, and a lot of the newer, younger businesses, um, there's, there are patterns. There are definitely patterns of, uh, you know, successful strategies and, and ones that kind of languish a little bit. Um, sure. So let's, uh, let's dig in, let's dig into that a little bit. And I think, you know, for so many people over this last year, e-commerce has really become, uh, sort of 
maybe trendy, if you want to call it that, but definitely something that a lot of newer people have tried to explore. And, you know, brick and mortar businesses now getting online, people who have always wanted to have an e-commerce business now are are starting online. Um, a lot of, you know, new startup e-com businesses, but there's also a lot of really seasoned e-com businesses out there that are struggling or aren't, you know, at a point where, they're as profitable as they want to be. And I know your experience, like you just said, you've seen so much, too much at this point. Um, you know, I, I really, when we, before the show, we were talking a lot about, you know, outsourcing and talking about, you know, the hiring process and things like that. But, you know, if you were going to kind of start at one point in, you know, gosh, I wish somebody would have told me this, or this is the advice that I give most people as, you know, a consultant for, for new startups, where would, you know, what's the one thing maybe that you are telling people over and over again, um, that they should be doing or shouldn't be doing? Um, the, the easy one, the, the low hanging fruit is uh, your customer service uh, needs to move away from the owner as soon as possible. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a bunch of reasons why this is really important. Uh, first of all, it is the, the face, the public face of your business. And so uh, you need to have that dialed in uh, because your relationship with your customers is it's the core of the business. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the reason that that, uh, you know, a lot of owners think that they'll do a better job than somebody else, um, and, and that's fantastic uh, for for a number of reasons, they, they probably will, uh, until something truly negative comes in. Um, mm -hmm. and a lot of times there's a, an emotional reaction to somebody's uh, unnecessary criticism. Customers can be nasty. Uh, yeah. A lot of times it, it's uh, a result of things that are outside of their control, outside of your control. You know, it's a, a shipping thing or a truck breaks down or something and they're, they're mad that they didn't get the order and they say some nasty stuff to an owner. Um, and, you know, over time that, that breaks you down. Uh, as yeah. you start to, to scale up in, uh, sales, you're going to get a lot more of those, those emails, those, those nasty letters, whatever. Uh, and so it, it doesn't help you, uh, to, hear that and respond to that. And, sure. uh, you know, the most important thing that I always tell, uh, entrepreneurs is that, uh, you know, success is a state of mind and, and in order to maintain success and maintain the confidence that it takes to go forward in business, you have to have your head in the right place. You can't be, uh, yeah. you know, letting these, these nasty things that people say, um, that, that are really just venting, you know, most, most customer service, uh, Positions are, are just about listening and responding, not not necessarily like you know, making a mail truck go faster or, or stopping right. a storm. So you know you can't you can't affect that stuff. Right. Um, and so you know I I truly love and appreciate our customer service people because uh, I I view them as as the uh, offensive line of our our team. Mm -hmm. They're they're taking the hit to protect us emotionally. Right. Uh, you know, hopefully not right. a physical hit, but. Uh, you know they, they're they're the ones that protect our our psyche um, yeah. because it, it is so damaging to hear stuff every single day, and especially around the holidays where everybody's kind of in a frenzy to get their stuff. You know, with, there are some days that we will get a hundred emails from Amazon, yeah. uh, Amazon customers saying, "Where's my package? I ordered it, you know, forty five minutes ago or whatever, two days ago." <laughs> I've, it's funny. I've actually had one. <laughs> I've had one where somebody. Uh, E emailed us after an hour asking where it was. And I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
great. So yeah, th definitely having uh, outsourced customer service uh, early is important. The other part is uh, customer service is uh, a very ad hoc thing. So you're going to get so many different uh, types of questions. Um, yeah. Everything, everything, and the more at bats they get, uh, the more experience they get. So early on, um, training a person, I would say that is probably the, the first position that I would hire for. Um, Got it. Well, you know, I hear a lot from business owners that they don't want to give that particular piece up because of, you know, nobody knows the business as well as I do. I am the one that, you know, needs to answer. What if they have a question that the customer service person can't figure out? And I think that probably having, you know, some standard operating procedures around responses and, and you know, the types of responses that you're getting on a regular basis. But I love how you talked about keeping that sort of as the shield for an entrepreneur's kind of mindset and you really thinking about that from a different lens and not using it as a, an excuse to say hey I, you know I can't really give this up because it's mine but rather thinking of it as a service or as something that really is going to protect you as the business owner um, and and not be impacted negatively that's a great great piece yeah I've actually heard uh, that exact line I can't give this up uh, multiple times. And yeah. the question I always come back with is, okay, are you going to do this forever? Are you going to do this when you hit a million dollars of revenue? Are you going to do it when you hit 10 million? Like it, right. at some point you're giving it up. And so if you're going to give it up eventually and, and turn it over to somebody else, do you want them to jump in when they have 10 emails a day to answer or 50 or a thousand? Because right. the sooner you give it up, the easier it is for that new person. You don't want them jumping into just a deluge of comments that, that they have to figure out every single one. Yes, SOP is very important. Yes, training them is very important. And initially, you know, when you set it up, think of them as as tier one customer customer support. They will uh, you know answer the easy ones and then all the hard ones they still push up to you. But you have to develop that SOP because uh, if you don't, it gets harder later and yeah. uh, it, it weighs you down until you do. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of goes into the second part of what you and I were talking about was around the hiring process and hiring experts versus, you know, jack of all trades for mm -hmm. your business. And, you know, a lot of times we, we've had other guests on the show that have talked about, you know, hiring virtual assistants. We've had people talk about, you know, how and what they've hired first. Um, but, you know, you, you were sort of giving us um, insight and perspective on, you know, do you hire a jack of all trades or do you hire an expert? Expert. So give me give me your recommendation or what advice do you have for people who are maybe just starting about thinking, you know, just starting to think about bringing people on or even people who have, you know, employees or, or contractors that are working for them right now? How should we be thinking about that hiring process? You know, Great question. Forward? Yep. Yep. Uh, so for me, uh, I, you know, I, I understand everyone's different with their, their hiring. Um, my view is that uh, depending on where you are in your, your business uh, curve, um, if you're just starting out, uh, a jack of all trades is almost required. Uh, I, yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, you're definitely going to be, unless you are the jack of all trades, uh, it's going to be required. Um, however, as you grow, you're going to need specialization. And so you're constantly gauging, uh, do we have enough 
uh, in this particular task to hire somebody who specializes. So whether it's fulfillment or customer service or running ads or uh, creative, whatever it is, uh, at some point you're gonna reach a point where you're like, okay, I have, I have 25 hours a week, I have 30 hours a week. Okay, we need one person that's dedicated to this versus we have five hours a week of customer service and five hours a week of, of fulfillment and uh, we can't hire full-time for anybody. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, as you're growing, you're going to be wanting to track these different areas as soon as you can. Uh, either uh, push your jack-of-all-trades to specialize in one area, and that's kind of a, a delicate situation because not every jack-of-all-trades can, yeah. uh, or uh, hire an expert uh, in, in that area. Hire someone who specializes. It doesn't have to be uh, a top-level expert, but somebody who's dedicated to that particular area. Sure. Do you feel like, the, so, you know, we talked about the customer service. Do you feel like that is the number one uh, dedicated person that you should be hiring? Do you feel like the, you know, fulfillment is the right person or is it just really dependent on your business and where you are in your growth? Definitely depends on, on the business. You know, if you have a, a digital product and fulfillment is irrelevant. Um, right. If you have a, a highly confusing product or something new to market, customer service might be uh, a lot more important. Um, if you're uh, in a very competitive uh, marketing um, category, then maybe the marketing team is the most important. It, it really depends on what you're you're selling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the specialization that is required uh, is is different in each category. Um, sure. Yeah. If you're, sure. If you're uh, manufacturing electronics, uh, you know, probably your engineering team is, is more important than your customer service team. Uh, as long as everything works, customer service should have an easy time. Right. Right. Do you recommend as you're thinking about this or in your experience, have you thought, you know, most people should be hiring, you know, independent contractors, employees? Does it really matter? you know, initially just, you know, kind of getting something off of your, your plate, or, I mean, I guess if you're going to have someone who's going to need to be an expert in that area, you probably, if you're starting off with a jack of all trades and you want to train them to become an expert in that area, they're probably going to need to be dedicated to you. But do you have any insight or perspective on that? Cause we, we get asked that question a lot of, should I hire contractors? Should I hire employees? How, how should I think about that? Yes, great question. Kind of the same, uh, the, the same uh, mental assessment. Um, so if you only have a few hours a week, um, you know, probably under under part time, under twenty hours a week, uh, contractors make a lot of sense. Um, just uh, understand that a lot of times contractors are uh, more expensive uh, and they have a, a different timeline because they have other other clients that are potentially. Uh, yeah, you know, in, in their work queue. Um, so somebody that works for you works in your office or, or uh, you know, remotely, uh, but is full time employed by you. They they're going to make uh, your business a priority. Hopefully, um, right. obviously, uh, doesn't need to be managed. Um, but it, an in house person, uh, you got to make sure they have uh, enough work that um, they're good value. So uh, I wouldn't start with hiring. Uh, somebody full-time, um, yeah. you know, it, it would be uh, potentially somebody who, who can grow with you, um, but 
there's there's definitely uh, those experts that that are uh, yeah good contractors. good time yeah yeah they, they they can they can get very expensive very quickly so sure um, uh, a part time expert is is great and then uh, as you ramp up that volume uh, bring bring them in house um, got it and a lot of times that that's uh, that's how we do it. we we find uh, with the newer business we'll have a contractor come in uh, it's kind of like a a trial period and as we scale up we, we make an offer to come over and work for us um and, and we've had some some good success with that yeah that's a great point bringing somebody in for a trial period seeing how they do you know making sure that they mesh with your team um and that they can scale with you and mm-hmm. then making them an offer you know after that so that there's there's that opportunity to continue to grow. Um, those are great. Those are great points and things that I know so many people have so many questions about all the time as as they're growing and scaling their business. And I think you know we we always get the question. And I'm going to shift gears just slightly from from customer service and outsourcing teams and things like that a, a little bit more around. Let's go with some you know fulfillment questions because you and I have talked about fulfillment, um, and, and worked on, you know, a couple different projects together or helped some other, um, business owners with questions that they have around fulfillment. But, you know, probably the biggest question I hear in my circle is, you know, when do I stop fulfilling myself? Like what is the breaking point or do I have a, a, a breaking point? I mean, got a lot of, you know, business owners that are selling products that they're making themselves or they're manufacturing themselves and they're doing it out of their garage. And, you know, some of those are pretty high volume, you know, too. And they're still having people ship and pack and do all that kind of stuff themselves. And I'm curious, you know, as you think about outsourcing and you think about doing some of these other things that we've just talked about, you know, when is a good time to, you know, think about fulfillment from, you know, outsourcing that? And how do you think about, fulfillment from that perspective. Give me, give us some insight on, on your experience and what you've been telling people. Okay. Well, so I, I started out, uh, doing fulfillment out of my house. Um, and, uh, instead of farming it out to a, a 3PL, uh, ended up building a fulfillment center so that we could do it ourselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, so my you, went the, you went the direct route then. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, we're we're a DIY company. We we do it ourselves. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, the 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 math for me is uh, before uh, fulfillment starts hamstringing your business. Um, and so, th- this is something I've seen a few times. Uh, owner operator has a business they launch, uh, they have some success, uh, they start to grow, and then at some point they're doing, um, you know, if they're if they're reselling a product, they, they're buying it and then reshipping it out, they're manufacturing it, they're, they're spending some time on manufacturing. But at some point there, the, the piece of the puzzle, which is shipping stuff out, um, becomes so much of their day that yeah. they can't do the other stuff, right? They can't do marketing, they can't do they can't do uh, content create, creation, and they're working like 15, 16 hours a day because they're, right. you know, I, I've talked to people at, at midnight, they're, they're packing stuff to ship out in the morning because they hit a volume. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, success is is, is a two way street. You know, it, it can hurt you if it it means that you're you're giving up all your time. Exactly. Um, and, right. And you know, who knows if that's really success? So before you start to stress out your life, um, 
before it starts to impact your business. Uh, and if you look at it as uh, an expense uh, you know, that, that you're essentially doing uh, as a business owner at, a, at an hourly rate. So um, let's say your business makes uh, $800 a day um, and you are the business owner solely running it by yourself. Uh, you're making $100 an hour. Uh, yeah. And if you look at how many packages you can ship in an hour, uh, if you're shipping more than 50, um, and fulfillment probably is going to cost about $2 per package, uh, give or take a little bit. Obviously, it depends on the size of the, the product and how many go in the, in the package. But uh, rough estimate, you know, if, you're, if your value is $100 an hour of uh, fulfillment, then great. Uh, you're doing okay. Uh, if you can only ship 10 an hour, uh, then you're making $20 an hour as the owner operator doing fulfillment uh, yeah. when your business should be making $100 an hour. So at that point, it needs to go somewhere else because you're taking a pay cut to do something that somebody else will do, somebody will be happy to do. Right. Uh, and, and you need to be dedicating yourself to you know, your time to, to the things that make you grow. Right. Right. So when you think about that tipping point, and I, I love the example that you gave with real numbers there, because I think that's tangible math for people to kind of think about as they, you know, put that into context of their business. So they're, they're, let's say they're at a point now where they are, um, ready to start thinking about fulfillment. You know, you, you went right to, Hey, I'm going to do this myself. Right. And most people probably are not going to do that. I mean, maybe some will, but, but, you know, many people will not go straight to, I'm just going to do my own, build my own fulfillment center. Do you recommend that people go that direct route or do you recommend (laughs) that people find, you know, a a 3PL or, or somebody um, else? And how do you think about that from a business owner perspective? Great question. Uh, do I recommend people do that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might uh, be what you'd say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking to you because I made the mistake that uh, you know we learn we learn lessons from. Um, right. And so, building a fulfillment center is uh, not cheap. It's not easy. Um, yeah. And uh, when I did it, I didn't have any experience doing it. It was it was a while ago. So along the way uh lots of mistakes um that we got through and and you know in in turn became uh experts in in uh, making mistakes and fixing them um right which is it's actually a great level of of uh, expertise but right so, <laughs> i'm great at fixing mistakes um right so, so the the problem for me with uh fulfillment centers is that they take up space um yeah and you know, if you're if you're relatively early in uh, the the process, you need to be able to make sure that you're getting a, a good value for that. And uh, space costs money 24 hours a day. Uh, if you don't yeah. have a fulfillment center that can really use that, if you have two hours of fulfillment a day or three hours, uh, you know, you, you're you're definitely wasting a lot of money on uh, the, the the overhead of running fulfillment. Right. Uh, that's not the only consideration because, um, you know, it, we, we talked with one of your clients a while ago and, and he had this fantastic growth trajectory. Uh, right. And, and he was at a, a place where uh, fulfillment center didn't make sense now, but his growth trajectory meant that in two years, 
uh, it was almost required. Right, um, right. And putting together a good fulfillment center of your own, uh, you're depending on how big you're going. If you're building a building, it's going to be two years. If you're buying a place and and uh, you know, doing a retrofit, it's going to be it's going to be a year. Um, yeah. It, uh, and so, you know, planning out for uh, when you'll need the fulfillment center is really important. If you can forecast what your sales are going to be and say, okay, we can do it out of my garage today, but in 12 months, I'm going to need 15 people in my garage and that's not going to work. Um, right. You know, then, then there's, there's a, a little bit more of a consideration. Do you go to a 3PL until you build your, your own or do you go to a 3PL forever? Um, at high volume, 3PL, uh, 3PL is third party logistics. And so that means, uh, you're basically outsourcing fulfillment to somebody else. Um, a lot of times it makes sense. Uh, sometimes if you don't have, uh, the right situation, um, it, it can be extremely expensive. Uh, so yeah. in general, uh, if you have the, the bandwidth to, uh, take on a fulfillment center, um, you can usually, uh, the, the bandwidth and, and, uh, the sales volume, um, you can usually save some money or, or, or uh, you know, make some money. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's a balancing act, though. It's one more piece to uh, your business, one more area of expertise. Right, right. Have you seen in your experience, have you seen there be sort of a sales tipping point or, or, or a, a volume tipping point where people should be? Or is it really just in an individual, you know, product situation. So, you know, is there a, a like, gosh, if you're going to sell a million dollars of widgets, then you should be thinking about a 3PL or, you know, if, if you're doing a, you know, hundred widgets a day or something like that, are there any guardrails around that? Or is it really just unique to the particular product? Yeah, it, it's definitely not, uh, you know, unit sold or dollar amount, because obviously those can vary depending on the, the size of the, the thing. If you're selling uh, you know, USB drives, they're, they're tiny, they're the size of your thumb. If you're selling uh, exercise bikes, they're gigantic. And so they, right. you know, the, the number of things that you sell doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's really, uh, you know, is it valuable in-house to do it? Um, right. So, you know, the, the management time um, of uh, running the, the, the fulfillment center um, and I think that does scale with uh, your catalog size. So mm. if you have uh, one item, uh, your fulfillment is going to get very simple, uh, <laughs> extremely simple. Right, one thing, right. one thing in a bag. Uh, right. And and uh, if you have 500 in your catalog, as we see with a lot of these Amazon aggregators, uh, that yeah. means you have 500 SKUs. Uh, you have a giant warehouse of stock, and you know becomes this this uh, logistical nightmare um, very quickly. And so right, right. for somebody like that, for somebody with a, a, a giant catalog, uh, that might be uh, a place where 3PL makes a lot of sense. If it's a single um, single SKU, sure. uh, you probably yeah. have a lot longer before that makes sense. Now, single SKU uh, with steady increase in growth uh, makes sense. Single skew with with exponential growth, where you're you're just skyrocketing. Yeah, you know it, it, it might make sense to uh, to move it out of house. And, and, sure. And, uh, that out. It, it's always a balancing act, right? All of these right. things are, are risk management. Uh, right. You know, risk right. versus return. Yeah. 
Okay, that's really that's great information to have. And boy, we've covered, you know, some good stuff as as we kind of wrap up. And I can't believe it's already, you know, we, we've been talking for for half an hour almost already. Um, and I feel like we've barely even scratched the surface on some of this. But what are what are some other maybe highlight that you can think back and you could say, gee, you know, there's there's a couple pieces here that I want to make sure that I I share with people on, you know, I wish I would have, or if I'd known, you know, at the beginning not to do this, or I should have done that. What would be maybe like your number one tip for e-com business owners in this space right now? For new e-com business owners, uh, I would say choosing your partners is the most important thing. It's more important than your product, uh, more important than your pitch. Uh, partners are, uh, if you're going that route, it seems like everybody I talk to is uh, excited yeah. about having a partner or partnering with somebody. Um, be really cautious about that because that will make or break a business uh, faster and harder than anything else. Um, Good so partners, true. you'll survive any storm. Uh, terrible partners, you won't even survive success. Uh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, you won't even survive success. That is, uh, that's, uh, it's sad, but so, so true. And I've seen a lot of business owners go down that path where they've partnered with someone because it seemed convenient at the time, but really didn't understand what that meant when they yeah. got to that point, even with success. You don't, you don't think about, partnering going bad when you're successful. You only think about partnering going bad when, when things are broken, right? Or if it goes off the rails. So of course. that's a really good point. Really good point. Well, Kale, it has been amazing to talk to you. And I feel like we should have you back on the show to dig into the partner conversation a lot more. I know you're going to be working on some things with your partner um, on how best to think about this if you are wanting to partner with people and if you are interested in that. But you've just got such a, a plethora of knowledge and so much insight to share. I thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us the these tips or tricks. But for now, that is the Ecom Profit Podcast. Thank cool. you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to hang out with other ecom business owners, head over to my free Facebook group, Six Figure Plus Ecom Success Strategies, and let's keep the conversation going. Thanks. Until next time. <laughs>